Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning, and we appreciate your prayers for us last week as Cindy and I were out with her mother and being with her during her time of surgery, and um, we thank you for your prayers and your continued prayers for her. Um, she had her thyroid removed. She has cancer on her thyroid, and they believe they got it all, and they, the uh, lymph nodes around it weren't any cancer there, so we're, she still has some treatment to go through, but we thank God for his being with her and his touch, and so we appreciate and thank you for your prayers for our family. We began a couple weeks ago a a series that we have entitled, Oh God, Make Me Holy. I don't know if in the course of these weeks those words have come to your mind, but I hope that they have, and I hope that they will continue to, Oh God, make me holy. Make me like what you want me to be. Make me like what your word calls me to. This morning we are focusing in on Strengthening our grip on holiness. To become more tightly pursuing, more intensely pursuing what God has called us to. When I was growing up, uh, we lived for a time in Port Matilda over the mountain. And um, we lived on the other side of the tracks, literally. Go into Port Matilda, find the tracks, go to the other side. Two doors up is where we lived. And um, that train that went down the Bald Eagle Valley was an express train that didn't slow down at all. Going through Port Matilda, the, the railroad crossing gates would come down and that thing would just fly on by. Our church was right there. And um, it was so loud and intense that whenever the train went by during a time of church, Dad would just have to stop preaching. Because the windows would rattle, the building would shake, and you couldn't hear him anyway. So, till the train went by, he just might as well stop preaching. We would have company come and stay with us, and in the morning they'd wake, they'd come out and said, "How do you guys live here? How do you sleep?" Three times during the night, a train went by, and they just sat bolt upright in bed. It sounds like it's going right through your bedroom. And we say, what train? We were living there. Yeah, we heard it during the day, but at night when we would go to sleep, we never even heard the train go through. It just became a part of the background noise. Let me ask you something. How seriously do you take God? Hmm? Maybe a little complicated question, but have you ever felt like you were surrounded by the things of God? The program, the people, the praise and worship, but where's God in my life? We can be around his people regularly. We can talk his language. We can do a Bible study. We can go to church. We can turn the Christian radio on when we're in the car. We can watch him working. We can even enjoy his blessings and yet be taking him for granted. And it's happening all around us, but where's God? <clears throat> Where is he really there? Do I feel him? Is he working, or is it just in the background? 
All of those things can be good, but they don't make us holy. Only God makes us holy. This morning I was talking to my friend Paul that I have prayer with every Sunday morning, and he was sharing a devotional that he had read this week, and as he was sharing the story, I I thought that would just fit in right here. He was telling the story of T.E. Lawrence, who is known as Lawrence of Arabia, historically. And Lawrence of Arabia had come to Paris, and he had brought several Arabs with him from the desert of Arabia. First time they had ever been in Western civilization in a big city, Paris, and they were awed by everything that they saw. But the thing that awed them the most, can you ever guess what it was? Probably never, unless you were here first service. Uh, it was the faucets in the bathrooms. That you could go up to this little thing on the, on the sink and turn the handle and water came out. One day he came back from being out and found them in the bathroom trying to rip the faucets off the sink. And he said, what are you guys doing? He said, oh, we got to take one of these back to, to Arabia that we could have one of these. You just turn this handle and water will come out. They didn't understand that it wasn't the hardware there on the sink. It was the pipes and the reservoir and the rain and all of the things that it took to get that water to the spigot. There is more to holiness than just being exposed to God. Okay? There's more to holiness than just being exposed to God. Holiness is a relationship with God that changes the very person that I am so that I become a clear reflection of who he is. That the spirit flows through me. We're going to be looking at a passage of scripture this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And Paul is there remembering a a, a section of Israel's history in which... They um, uh, 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 had some pretty bad, good times, but also some pretty bad times. I missed a couple. Oh, no, I didn't. There we go. Um, we're going to look at this passage, and we're not going to read the whole thing, but we're going to read it as we go. In this passage, we see that they had so much of God. First, Corinthians chapter 10, I don't want you to forget, dear brothers and sisters, about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. All of them were guided by a cloud and moved ahead of them, that moved ahead of them, and all of them walked through the sea on dry ground. In the cloud and in the sea, all of them were baptized as followers of Moses. All of them ate the same spiritual food, and all of them drank the same spiritual water. For they drank from the spiritual rock that traveled with them, and that rock was Christ. The Israelites of Moses' time were a very blessed people. They had just been freed from slavery. For 400 years they had been slaves down in Egypt, and and God had sent Moses to deliver them, and they were able to, to break that bondage of slavery, and they went to the Red Sea, and God delivered them there at the Red Sea, and the armies of Egypt were vanquished in that water, but they walked across on dry land. 
We find them that God provided a cloud for them in the daytime to protect them from the desert sun. And at night, uh, he provided a pillar of fire that gave light to the whole camp. And he provided for them manna and he provided for them quail to eat. He gave them water out in the desert to feed, to, 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 for quench the thirst of all those people. And God's presence and God's miracles uh, were everywhere they looked. So much of God. Wonder, wouldn't it be wonderful to live with God working so dramatically like that? But Paul said there was so much of God, but so little godliness. God was not pleased with most of them, and their bodies were scattered for 40 years in the wilderness. These people had witnessed very highly visible, visibly God, but they had failed to take God seriously. And so God prevented them from going into the promised land that he wanted them to have. You know, we can go to church regularly. We can give to God's work generously. We can work in his ministry tirelessly and still miss having a relationship with God. You see, being exposed to the character of God and his blessings and even being involved in his work does not guarantee anything. All that does is just make us more responsible for the things of God. Highly privileged people can be disqualified. Paul, in the chapter just previous to this, said this, Instead, I subdue my body and make it my slave, so that after preaching to others, I myself might not be disqualified. There is more to holiness than just being exposed to God. If just being exposed to God and the things of God made you holy, then the Pharisees should have been the most holy people. And yet Jesus condemned them and said, you're a bunch of whitewashed sepulchers. Oh, you're nice and pretty on the outside, but inside you're dead. There's no holiness there. Paul goes on to say there's some reasons why people are, don't take God seriously. So they get sucked away. And there's things that they allow in their lives and in their thinking that causes them to just begin to not take God seriously. Five things that Paul talks about, and we look at in this next few verses and we can find them. These things happened as a warning to us so that we would not crave evil things as they did or worship idols as some of them did. As the scriptures say, the people celebrated with feasting and drinking and they indulged in pagan revelry. And we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did, causing 23,000 of them to die in one day. Nor should we put Christ to the test as some of them did and then died from snake bites. And don't grumble as some of them did and then were destroyed by the angel of death. These things happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. Paul said that these things that we find here in this story are really an object lesson for us to get the truth of the importance of being faithful to God, allowing his holiness into our life. How did the Israelites bring this tragedy upon themselves? Well, 
He said they they allowed these things in their life and it's just like a vortex that, you know, you're out around the edge and you, you feel like you can handle it. But the closer you get to the center, it just begins to suck you in and you just feel powerless to escape its grasp. Each one of those decisions making us just a little bit more insensitive to God. Let's look at these circles, if you please. The first one, Paul said they were craving evil things. The Israelites knew that they should be following God. God was pointing them in the direction of the promised land, Israel. Egypt was behind them. And yet in their heart was this desire and this pull for Egypt and the things of Egypt. It says there in Numbers chapter 4, or 11, 4 and 5, speaking of this situation Paul, that Paul was writing about, they began to crave the good things of Egypt. And the people of Israel began to complain. Oh, for some meat, they exclaimed. We remember the fish we used to eat for free in Egypt. And we had all the cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic that we wanted. They began expressing this desire for the things of Egypt, the place where God had delivered them from. And there were some good things back there. Onions are good. Leeks are good. Uh, uh, the fish is good. That wasn't bad things, but, but they were connected to Egypt. And the things that they thought, uh, thought about as they were thinking about that in this period of deliverance was, those things were free back there. Now, you have to define free, don't you? They were slaves. They got up at dawn and worked till dusk, uh, and they were whipped and they were beaten and their children were killed, uh, but their food was free. And sometimes we look at the things of this world and we think, oh, that would be nice, I want that. Why can't I do this and why can't I do that? And God has delivered us from them. And we think that somehow, if I'm following Christ, I might be missing out on something back there. Why can't I? And we begin to crave those things that aren't a part of God's plan for us as his followers. And then it results in idolatry. They began to worship idols. Now I know that probably... None of us have a shelf at home with a carved idol that we bow down to every day and pray to. But there's more to idols than just those kind of what we think of pagan kind of worship. We, like the Israelites, can put something ahead of God. Put God, put something else on the throne that God should be setting on in our lives. And when we do, it becomes idolatry. And idolatry slowly tugs our attention and our time and our devotion away from God and what he says towards what is now more important in our life. Uh, when we replace the authority of God's word with a substitute such as, I just really don't feel there's anything wrong with that. I've had many times through my ministry people tell me that God's word says this, but I just really don't think there's anything wrong with it. 
Does it really matter what I think if God's word says this is the word of God, thou shalt not, or you shall do this? I just don't feel. Does it matter? Yes, it does, because I'm putting something ahead of God. God's word is true and is faithful, and we have to be obedient to it, and we allow anything that we know ahead of God, it becomes a form of idolatry. We can let anything come ahead of God. Even good things come ahead of God. I can put my work ahead of God. I can put my family ahead of God. I can even put my church ahead of God and make that the thing I serve instead of him. He also said, we must not engage in sexual immorality as some of them did. When Paul was talking to the Corinthians, they too had a immorality within the church that Paul was addressing and talking to about what the Israelites had, had done. And, and we may say, well, you know, that's not a problem with me. But really when you get down to it and what is even uh, maybe a more treacherous sin is spiritual immorality. You say, what? Yeah, because we are the bride of Christ. He is our husband, if you please. And we have this relationship with him. And when we begin to play around with other things, we're really committing spiritual adultery with God. And this erosion eats away at our walk with him. Someone has defined this immorality, this spiritual immorality, as anything inconsistent with purity. That's pretty strong. Anything inconsistent with purity. God has called us to be holy, to be pure. And so anything that I allow in my life that is inconsistent with purity begins to defile me. Just as if I had a bottle of water here and I take... (laughs) Just a little bit of dirt. You know, just a half a teaspoon and pour it in there. Would you drink it? If I just get a little bit of cow manure and and put it in there, it's just a little bit. Would you drink it? No. But yet we allow things in our life that are as defiling and think that it's just some okay. God, God will drink it. He'll drink it. It'll be okay. He'll accept that. Today we're bombarded with with this attitude of looseness in our honesty, in our integrity, in our sexuality, in our relationships, purity. Culture says it's normal, it's acceptable, and the standards of purity are eroded and we buy into it. The idea that I can have Christ, the bottle of water, and, and, and just a little bit added in and he won't care. Immorality. And then Paul said they began to presume upon God. They, we, they were putting Christ to the test. Taking advantage of his patience. Consciously or unconsciously trading on his mercies. The idea that, eh, I know it's wrong, but I'll just ask God to forgive me. Okay? I know it's wrong, but tonight when I get down to pray, I'll... I'll I'll say, God, forgive me, and it will be okay. Do you live your life like that where you just wait, you know, uh, the things in God, well, we'll just take care of that tonight when we pray, and everything will be, God will be fine. He'll be fine with that. God's a loving God. 
God loves me. And I don't have to worry about those kind of things. And we test the long-sufferingness of God. And it's to our peril to forget the holiness of God when we're thinking of the love of God. Because many times, especially in our spiritual culture, Christian culture and Western society, it's all about the love of God. God is a God of love and he loves you and and therefore that is our only relationship with him. Yes, God is a God of love, but he's also a God of holiness. I am a holy God and I demand that you be holy. And I have died that you can be holy. And we need to remember that we're going to stand before him as a God not only of love and of holiness, but a God of judgment someday in which he is going to judge me on what did I do with his love and how did I allow his love to make me holy. Some people say, well, it doesn't really matter as long as my heart is right. It doesn't really matter what I do as long as I meant well. Well, God says, be holy. If my heart is right, I won't presume upon God. And then the fifth circle was grumbling. And don't grumble as some of those did and were destroyed by the angel of death. You might look at this one and wonder, why is that in the list? If I would ask you, which one of these in the list don't belong, that's probably the first one you would throw out of the list. Yeah, you know, Evil things, idolatry, immorality, presuming upon God, grumbling. That, that, you know, that's just kind of a minor little thing. Yeah, we all grumble. We all complain. See, but invariably our attitudes of the heart are expressed through our lips. And it all really boils down is, do I believe that God means what he says? Do I believe that he will do what he says he will do? And when we grumble, we're saying, God, you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Oh, it's so easy to grumble, isn't it? So easy to say, oh, I'll let you know why I don't like this. I'll let you know why this isn't right. Whether it's here in church, whether it's with your family, whether it's at work, whether it's uh, with our city council, whatever. We have this thing. I have the right to let you know why I don't like it. And we live this life of complaining. And God says, when you're complaining, you really say, God, you're not doing it right. You're not taking care of me right. And God had been providing. God had given them everything that they needed for deliverance and to be able to occupy the ground that God had promised to them. And they were grumbling, grumbling, grumbling. And sometimes those that have the most grumble the most. Who had more than the Israelites of God? But yet, we're grumbling. We live in a time and an age where we have so much, and yet, I think we whine more than maybe our parents and grandparents and the people of the Depression and the Dust Bowls. I think we probably grumble more than them. We have so much. What do we have to grumble about? And yet, we're saying, God, you're not doing enough. You're not taking care of me like I want you to. Because at the root of grumbling is unbelief. And it's serious because it got a lot of Israelites killed, just like idolatry and immorality did. And if God takes it seriously, we ought to too. Two reactions to then when that kind of information comes to us. Paul goes on to say, so, if you think you are standing strong, be careful not to fall. 
The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. He'll not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. Now, Paul wasn't speaking to or about heathen here. All right? Paul was speaking of the children of Israel who were God's chosen people, who God had displayed his grace to them over and over again. And the people that he was speaking to were the Corinthians. They were the church at Corinth, Christ followers, people that had been redeemed through the, the, the blood of Jesus Christ, had received the message of salvation, and their lives were changed, and they were beginning to follow Christ uh, And Paul was aware that as the Israelites of old had deafened their ears to what God was saying, so could the Corinthians. And he was saying, so could you and I. And Paul said there's two ways that people handle this kind of information. One is, prior to compromise, they say, well, that will never happen to me. Look at that. I, no, I'm not going to crave evil. Idolatry? No. Immorality? No, no, no. I, I don't even grumble very much okay and and so i i you know that will never happen to me noah who was a man of faith so much that he built an ark out where there wasn't any water yet was the first one to sin after they came out of the ark and david who was persecuted for his godliness and his integrity by Saul, committed adultery and murder. Solomon, who when asked by God, I'll give you anything that you want, asked for wisdom, and God gave him wisdom to the point where it says he is the wisest man that ever lived. And yet he took more wives and concubines than any heathen king around him. And Peter, who said to Jesus, I looked him in the eye and said, I will die with you. I won't leave you. Just a few short hours later, warming his hands around the fire, said, him, I, I don't even know who he is. I, I, I've never met him before in my life. If God leaves you and I to ourself, am I more faithful than Noah? Am I more godly than David? Am I wiser than Solomon? Am I more committed than Peter? Sometimes we think we don't have to worry when we flirt with the world, when we flirt with sin. That we can live on the edge and just, it'll be okay. I, I know I'm a little close to the line, but you know I won't step over it. I remember the old story of a guy who had a warrant out for his arrest down in Kentucky and the sheriff was looking for him and found him and was going to arrest him. But the guy knew that if he could get across the county line that the sheriff had no jurisdiction and he would be free. And so he took off running because it wasn't that far away to the line and he outran the sheriff, crossed the line, turned around, looked back and kind of mocked him. Can't do anything with me now. And the sheriff said, well, you're right. You gave me a good run for, your, for my money. And he said, but let's not part as enemies. Let's just shake hands, be done. 
And so he reached, he kind of in his arrogance reached across and shook hands with the sheriff. And as he shook hands with the sheriff, the sheriff just grabbed him and pulled him across the line and arrested him. When we start shaking hands with the enemy, we'd better watch out. When we're sitting close to the line and think, oh, this doesn't matter. Are we sure where the line is? God wants us to be holy. And we have to be careful when we think we're standing firm, lest Satan knocks our legs out from under us. Sometimes we give in to compromise. And we then say, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. I want out. Paul says, God will forgive you. But he's saying there's no real need to fall in the first place. There's no real need to fall in the first place. God is faithful. God is faithful. And he'll not allow temptation to come that is greater than what you can bear. So many times I hear the the idea that, well, I just can't help myself. And when I fall into sin, I just can't help it. You know, I have to sin every day. It's just how we are. Paul says, no. He says, God is faithful. And you can have victory over sin. You don't have to sin. Sin is a choice. Okay? And he said that if there is temptation there, God will give you the strength and the grace to stand. That when you are tempted, he'll show you the way out if you will allow him. Every one of us are tempted. Every one of us. But wherever the, your te- whatever your temptation, God knows it's possible with his help to stand. And he's already prepared a way of escape. So when you're faced with temptation... Your first realization should not be how strong Satan is and how he's got me by the hand, but saying, okay, stop right here because there is a move. There is a move that I can make to get out of this. God has already established that there is a way of escape and I don't have to be pulled across that line. I can even right now stop and God will give me the escape if we will follow him. In closing... Just want to look at a couple questions. Maybe some questions that you'll take home and that you'll think and you'll, you'll wrestle with this week. First, let me just ask you, where are you at in this time of your life? Right now, where are you at? Are you running in any of these circles? As I was speaking, were there evil things that you crave that God said, yep, that's what I'm talking about? Idolatry, is there anything that you're putting before God and saying, well, I know but. Immorality, is there any area in your life where there's a taint of something that is not pure and it's dirtying the whole, contaminating the whole well? Are you presuming upon God? I know God will forgive me. I'll pray and ask him. It'll be okay. He doesn't really care. Are you grumbling? Are you saying, God, come on, do your job. You should be doing this. You should be doing that. God, where are you? You're not doing what you should be doing. How can we determine if we're on this pathway away from God? Well, here's a couple questions. Have I, del- have I lost my delight for the Lord? Have I lost my delight for him? Was there a time where I just loved being in his presence? And now, 
Okay, yeah, all right, it's time to go to church. Let's go to church. Oh, it's time to have my devotions. Oh, I read it. I'm done. Get out of here. Is there a closeness? Is there a relationship with him? Do, you, do, you, do the spiritual things taste dry? You know, it's just like, okay, yeah, it's time to eat. Let's eat. And then, you know, wasn't anything real great. Or do you just can't wait for the spiritual food? Am I craving something that I shouldn't? Is there something that I want that I know God doesn't want me to have? Have I stopped taking him seriously? Am I tolerating things in my life that I didn't used to tolerate? Have there areas of my values that I, if I was honest, I would say, yeah, they're they're eroding. They're not what they used to be. Do I realize that if I wander around in this desert, it, it can be endless? The children of Israel wandered in that desert for 40 years until they died because they just weren't taking God seriously. Am I willing to confess the deadness of my spiritual vitality and do whatever is necessary to bring back the vibrant life that God wants me to have? Oh God, make me holy. Peter said, if the righteous are barely saved, what will happen to the godless? If the righteous, you and I, are barely saved. In other words, he's saying, hey, don't take this lightly. You're just barely getting in. (laughs) Take it seriously. Walk with God. Be obedient. I may not have fallen into deep sin, but maybe it's like, your drill battery, you know, the cordless drill. And you use that thing and you're using it and you're using it and it's going good, everything's wonderful, look how powerful my drill is. And then after a little while you begin to see it just not turning that screw as, as fast as it used to. And then pretty soon you're down and it won't turn at all and you're using your drill as a manual screwdriver to try to turn that thing. What's a battery life like in your spiritual life? Getting weak? What Paul is saying is, God has a mechanism to recharge us, to keep us at full uh, power in our lives. And if we realize that we're losing it, uh, that we need to plug back in. We need to say, oh God, make me holy. Make me holy, Lord. Strengthen my grip on holiness. I want to be fully charged to be able to enjoy the blessings that you have given us and to enjoy the relationship that you died to establish for me. I want to be obedient. I want to be holy. Where are you at in your walk with God? Oh, God, make me holy. Is that your heart's cry this morning? Will that be what you say when you wake up this week? Oh God, make me holy? Or is it, oh God, here I am again. Yeah, thanks for, thanks for forgiving me again. And I don't know, I'll probably need it again at the end of this day because I'm not really taking you real seriously, God. Are you taking him seriously? He wants relationship with you, but... He wants you to take him seriously. Shall we stand?
I don't know where you are in your walk with God. But I encourage you, if this message is spoken to your heart, that you will seek Him out. If you want someone to pray with you, just I welcome you to give me a call. It was exciting this week to have someone stop by my office and say, Bob, your messages have been talking to me. We need to talk. And to be able to help them walk through some things to get to the part where God make me holy. These can be things that just, yep, hey, that's a nice sermon, Bob. Made me think a little bit, go home and forget about it. Or we can act upon it. And I trust that you will. Father God, we come to you this morning and we thank you for your faithfulness. Lord, I'm so thankful that you didn't just tell us be holy and then say to us, deal with it, figure it out. But you said, if we're tempted in things that would make us not holy, that we can stand that temptation against that temptation and that you have already provided a way of escape. We don't have to get sucked into this vortex. We don't have to live like the children of Israel did. We don't have to be defeated and not possess what you have provided for us. Oh God, make us holy. May we be people that are holy people, people that when people see us, they see Jesus. May it be so in our lives. And if not, help us to seek it with our whole heart, even this day. We ask in your holy name, amen.